these people are people. They're humans. We need to treat them with respect. You know, the culture of shouting at people, telling them that they're useless, asking them why they're here, throwing things at them. It doesn't work anymore. And it, if I know from firsthand experience, it, that didn't encourage me or push me to do better. That made me think, well, fuck, why am I doing this? Why am I here then? Today on Dirty Linen, we are hanging in Melbourne town, chatting to pastry chef Karina Ladelfa. Karina is the head chef at the Hamptons Bakery and Tommy Collins. Welcome to Dirty Linen, Karina. So great to have you on the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. Uh, It's a thrill to have you um, and I'm really looking forward to digging into what you're up to at the moment but also just talking about how you come to be doing what you're doing and I know you're really passionate about hospitality as an industry and especially the place of women within it and what it's like to be a a woman working in baking, cooking and restaurant uh, and hotel kitchens so yeah we're gonna get we're gonna get into it aren't we? (laughs) Yes we are I'm ready. All right, uh, but Karina, tell us what you're up to now. Um, how how's how are things at the Hamptons Bakery and Tommy Collins? What's what's kitchen life like at the moment? Uh, at the moment, it's I mean, life is great. We've got new ovens, uh, which is fantastic. They have great evenly even bake, but at the moment, the struggle is real with uh, skilled labour. It's not a case of more hands equals light work. It's we need skilled hands and we need people that are, are passionate about the industry and are passionate about what they do. Um, I've always been taught that if someone comes in with the right attitude, then they can be taught anything. And it's just hard to find anyone at the moment. So that's the that's the struggle at the moment. But the team that we have there, Wally, Nikita, and Valentina, they're fantastic. Yeah, gosh, I mean, I can already hear the passion in your voice for what you do and for the industry, but it is um, so, yeah, it's such a draining time for people. I mean, gosh, we've all had, um, you know, a couple of interesting years. It's been pretty draining, but then, you know, recovery and regrouping and recouping some of that lost revenue and momentum is so difficult with with the staffing situation, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, as a bakery, we were deemed... um, essential so we kept working all the way through I mean apart from when my mom got COVID she was uh, she got COVID before we had a vaccine so I was actually in close contact lockdown for I can't even remember four five six weeks which was hard but then coming back into it and now we've got the seven day lockdown which people who now test positive are away that makes it even more difficult And when everyone first came back, everyone was so excited and we were all, you know, jumping to be back and allowed to dine out. But now it seems, it seems just a a struggle to have a full team now. Karina, it, it does sound like a real struggle, but tell me what you love about what you do. Like, what are you baking there that you're really proud of? I'm currently... So proud, and I am obsessed with the vinoiserie that we have been producing lately. We switched to a company called Provenance Flower. Uh, the owner is John, and he the the main reason why I switched was because when speaking to him, 
I have never heard anyone so passionate about what they do, so in love with their product and so knowledgeable about the flower, the grades, how it works. And to hear a supplier recommend to me and and say, this is how I think you should do it, this is the best results, and for me to then start using it and see exactly exactly what I want and a product that I'm so proud to be putting out of and it's just consistent and I'm so proud to be teaching um, the the younger pastry chefs that we have in our team how this, how this product is and how we came about it, why I'm so passionate about it as well and it just it, it makes it so much easier to teach because I'm so passionate about it and, and I love the product that comes out. That is amazing. I think so many people still think of flour as just like this sort of substance that holds up a cake or, you know, fills out a loaf. They don't think of it as, as a real ingredient. Like, do you notice a, a difference in, in the flavour? Oh, yes, for sure. It's it's definitely uh, it's definitely earthy and it it's an Australian flour and it comes from New South Wales and it is so thirsty. It drinks so much water, <laughs> which is very funny because I've never seen a flower that drinks so much water. And when John's gave me the ratio or when he was first gave me a recipe, I was looked at it and I was like, damn, this is a lot of water. Will, will this work? Are you sure? And then, yeah, sure enough, uh, came out, the proof was in the pudding of the croissants, I should say. <laughs> yeah, I love it. And give us a bit of a sense of the businesses about about Hampton's Bakery and Tommy Collins, just for people who don't know those places, tell, tell us about them. Uh, so the Hampton's Bakery is, it's, you know, a good old-fashioned bakery. We have sourdough, um, wholemeal, multigrain, pumpkin soy, which is made with soy sauce, which is pretty awesome. It adds a really nice flavour to the bread. And we have uh, Tommy Collins as well, which is more like boutique fine dining catering, which is where my restaurant background kind of comes into it. And I love doing plated desserts. It's just another outlet for me to get creative really, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, it must be exciting to have events coming back as well. Oh, yeah. For a second there, we were having like weddings on a Tuesday, which you know, two years ago was unheard of. Who has a who gets married on a Tuesday? <laughs> yeah, we were having all sorts of events every single day of the week. It was great. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Well, I guess after you've cancelled your wedding a few times, you know, if you need to get married at three a.m. on a Wednesday, it's like <laughs> just bring it on. Let me say I do. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> um, so, Karina, you started in the industry, you know, as uh, as a girl, like from a really young age. Can you can you tell us about you know watching your mum work in um, in the bakery and just how you sort of came into the industry yourself? Yeah, actually. Um, well, I started working on the weekends before school at 3 a.m. and I was just helping out with, you know, the basic things like mixing cream into a custard or putting fruit on the fruit tartlets. And and then I just kind of, I, I, was, I was thinking, damn, I actually, I'm all right at this. Maybe I should give this a shot. And yeah, here we are 10 years later. I mean, it was, it was great to see my mum in it as well. I just kind of think it just fell into my life really easily. It fit into everything that I wanted to do. I, I couldn't see myself sitting behind a desk or 
or studying for a long time. I, I wanted to be in an industry where I was creative and I had that outlet and I could be anyone I, I wanted to be as well. Mm. So, I mean, tell me about some of the challenges that you faced along the way as you progressed in your career. Um, I, I think the the challenges that I have personally faced have been quite different to, I mean, I'm just going to compare myself to my husband, Daniel, who's also a chef. I mean, I, I definitely did face a lot of comments like, oh, are you on your period? Why are you grumpy? Or those kinds of comments. Even when I had long hair, I used to wear it in a braid and I used to get people, this one chef in particular, come up behind me and pull it and ask me if I liked it. And those are the, apart from the work being absolutely labour intensive and you're constantly learning and some things don't work out and you just, you're racking your brain like, I don't understand what I did wrong. What made it even harder mentally was the fact that something that I couldn't change about myself and that I was actually really proud of being a woman, being Italian and being my parents' daughter, I was getting that used against me. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's really tough, I suppose, to have, you know, to be, I guess, I don't know, targeted for something that is inherent to you and something that you actually, you know, you enjoy about yourself. I mean, how much of what you've experienced do you think you could put down to a sort of inherent misogyny in the industry? And how much do you think you could just say, well, people just use what they can see in front of them and, you know, your your plat was right in front of them, for example? Like how do you, yeah, where do you sort of lay this? I mean, it's the culture in kitchens and, I mean, I've spoken to you a little bit about this and I've mentioned before that when I was in, when I was an apprentice, the first thing that one of the junior commies said to me, who was a 21-year-old male, HR goes out the door here, like don't even, don't even go to HR. That doesn't exist. So if someone is telling me that in my first week of work in the industry, in what, what's my future going to be like? Or how is this person who's supposed to be part of my generation be teaching the next generation or be teaching my generation how to behave or what's acceptable? Because this behaviour just keeps getting accepted. That's really alarming to hear that, isn't it? I mean, it's yeah, what are you supposed to think? It's like you're sort of going onto a pirate ship and, like, you know, there are no rules. I mean, how do you – I can just imagine, you know, you're very passionate. You seemed very certain from a young age about this is what you wanted to do. But I could imagine for people who were less certain, you know, they'd just be looking for the exit. Oh, for sure. I've actually – when I started in trade school, uh, one of my mentors who I met, in a local cafe down the road from me said to me, look around in your classroom. I can guarantee you that two thirds of them will not be there in five years. And I still follow some of them on Instagram and they are doing absolutely amazing, but some of them 
they're not even in the industry anymore. And it was before COVID they got out. So, I mean, what would you say there's there's a general culture, like a, a sort of toxic culture all around, or would you say that, you know, as a woman you're definitely experiencing, you know, more of it or the worst of it? I think that's a tough one because I, I obviously can't speak for all of the women in the industry, but me personally, it was definitely a culture thing. If it was accepted or if the head chef or someone senior was playing along with it, laughing with that joke or not saying anything when I was clearly upset or, you know, I, I said F off or something. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear, but I was – if that's accepted or if no one stands up and says anything, then it's just going to keep going and growing and growing. And you said, you know, you could ex- you could compare your experience to your husband's and that they were quite different. I mean, do you feel like he was just allowed to, I guess, in a way, just focus on his career, focus on his learning and that he didn't have these? Right. Well, can you, t- can you talk more about that? I found, I mean, even in the last two years, uh, Daniel was offered a job by someone who also offered me a job. And I was supposed to be taking care of three kitchens and he was taking care of one and he got offered $10,000 more than me. And I was just thinking to myself, does this person not think that Daniel's going to talk to me or tell me what they offered him? I mean, and I, 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 I just felt really betrayed and, and angry that I had to prove myself to him, but also then go back and question myself saying, well, how much am I worth? And Daniel got so much support during his apprenticeship. And when we talk about things, I do often talk to Daniel and and say, oh, I, I said this, or I'm trying to stick up for my staff. I'm trying to stick up for my team. And Daniel sometimes says, oh, that's really weird. I've never been questioned on that. Or I've never been called catty or bitchy. And I said, well, I get called bitchy and catty all the time. And do you think that it's those kinds of behaviours, you know, in a man would just simply be seen as strong or firm or direct? Exactly right. Exactly right. And my dad is a businessman and he always – um, tells me, especially when I got up to management, how to deal, how to negotiate, how to talk to these these people who who don't have a hospitality background and how you need to word things. And you know, the first thing that someone judges is the hand is the handshake when you meet them. So I always try and have that firm handshake when I meet someone because that sets the tone of of what, how the conversation's going to go. And, um, yeah, just, it's, it's, it's a really hard question. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really interesting because, you know, you've, you've made it clear you're really proud to be a woman, you know, this is, this is who you are. There's nothing, you know, there shouldn't be anything to be ashamed of, but I feel like, do you feel like there are elements where you feel like you need to play the role, you know, a traditional more male role to be taken seriously? Yeah, well, I mean, I've definitely met, I've definitely met 
women in senior roles that have said to me, you know, if you want to get somewhere in this industry, you've got to act like a man. But why should I act like a man if I want to go far? I know who I am. I know what gender I identify as. I I don't know why I should change myself to get ahead. And I don't know why people need to see me as a woman and not as a good pastry chef, a good baker. Just, oh, yeah, that chick's all right. So what what impact has this had on you over the years, Karina? This actually has impacted me a lot and I feel like it has impacted um, the way I speak to people, um, the way I first get impressions of people. It also has impacted my relationship with Daniel. You know, there's certain trigger words when someone says, oh, it's all right, sweetheart, you know, those kinds of things are used against me in my industry. And then if Daniel's saying it out of affection or something, I get angry because I think he's being a smart ass. And then it also affects me because in a good way, it's taught me to stick up for myself, to identify when someone else is feeling uncomfortable, to identify when someone feels like they are not welcome I had an incident with an apprentice at my work. One of the male bakers went up to her and said, oh, are you on your period? Your boobs look kind of big today. And I was just stepped in and I was like, whoa, no, you can't say that. And she did not have the guts to say anything back and I could tell that she was uncomfortable. And she came up to me afterwards and said, oh, thanks for saying something. I've never really said anything to him before. I've always been too scared. So if anything, my experience in the industry has, I would really like it to in one way, I'm glad it's happened to me so I can identify other people's experiences and help them. Can you talk about, you know, the kind of kitchen culture that you're creating now that you're a head chef? Well, the first thing, I have a group message with my friends and the first thing that I said when I accepted the job was, everyone, I'm going to create a kitchen that is inclusive of all pronouns, genders, anyone of all walks of life, ages, I anyone. I just want people to come together and have a good time at work because I know what it's like to walk into a work and be like, oh, damn it, I have to go to work or, you know, I hope this person's not in today because whenever they're in a bad mood, I'm always going to have a bad day. So, and my boss, uh, ben has actually said to me before, like, oh, I really like it when we come into the kitchen and you guys are singing and dancing and you look like you're having a good time. And that's what I want. I want people to come and be like, dance while they're shaping the bread and they're learning. And if people are happy, you know, happy chefs make happy food and it tastes bloody awesome. So that's what I want. I want people to be happy and enjoy this industry because um, that's what I said. I said, this this problem is bigger than me, this problem is the whole hospitality and hospitality is a beast of an industry. And if someone doesn't stick a screwdriver into those cogs or into that machine, you know, and it's, it's just going to keep running. Nothing's going to break except for the people that are in it. And it's so sad to see when you see such a talented chef or that was, that was so passionate burnout. Yeah. Look, it, it really feels like, your attitude that you're bringing into your kitchen and the culture that you're creating is a really important part of the solution to the staffing crisis because, you know, yes, if, yes, we need internationals to come back. Like, um, yes, we need 
people coming, you know, into training situations. But if they don't stay, if it's not a nice place to be, then, you know, you can't really blame people for trying something else. Oh, exactly right. Exactly right. And you need to treat these people. These people are people. They're humans. We need to treat them with respect. You know, the culture of shouting at people, telling them that they're useless, asking them why they're here, throwing things at them, it doesn't work anymore. And it, if I know from firsthand experience, it, that didn't encourage me or push me to do better. That made me think, well, fuck, why am I doing this? Why am I here then? Mm. I mean, when you were a, a young cook, like just starting your training, did did you sort of get swept up in the culture that you saw around you? Uh, definitely, yes. And I, you know, hindsight is a beautiful thing. I wish I could go back and stick up for myself in situations, but I felt like if I just kept my head down and I joined in into that banter, of degrading women, myself included. I'm, I'm ashamed to say it, but also it was such a big learning moment for me to turn around and be like, no, why am I doing this? I should be proud of who I am. I should be proud of being a woman. And these people who are subjecting me and um, into this environment, they're, they're the wrong ones. They need to turn around and look at their behaviour. They need to be educated. It's such an intense, it's just such a crush of learning that you've done because, of course, you're learning so much about, you know, cooking and food and prep and organisation and all that important stuff. But to be just um, on this real intensive of learning about identity and, you know, strength and um, I guess compassion and empathy for yourself and those around you, like that is that is just a lot. Like it's, I mean, what a what a schooling, like harsh at times, but I mean, look at you, how you've come out of it. Yeah, it was it was so it was really hard. It was very hard. Um, I would look at all my friends around me, and they were going out and having fun, and I was in the kitchen, you know, sweating sweating so much because I would just be trying to run everywhere, learn everything. And then as well as that, I had to put up with these, with this culture as well of, I mean, even, even trying to take the advice of act like a man. I was like, I don't even know how to act like a man. I'm not a man. How do I do that? And that's how I felt was the easiest way to, to fit in. And, and now my, my view on it is, is uh, everyone that I surround myself with has the same views as me. And for, for us to be having these Women's Day luncheons and taking the women out of the environment to gather together, part of me thinks, well, shouldn't we be educating the men not to act like that instead of gathering all the women together and separating them from the environment? Yeah, I mean, that just makes you think of all these, you know, yeah, women's safety summits and all that kind of stuff. It's like, what about, you know, men's violence summits? Like, that's the ones that you actually need to have. Yeah. I'm not saying that they are not important and I'm not dismissing them at all. I'm, I'm, I'm just questioning myself and, and how, and how I should talk to, talk to my staff and my teams in the future. I shouldn't be talking to the women like, oh, can you not bend down in that way? Because someone will try and hump you from behind. You've got to talk to the men and be like, that's inappropriate. We don't do that. Have some respect. 
Love it. Um, Karina, you know, there's a lot of discussion around work-life balance and hospitality, and it's obviously really tricky given, you know, the hours and, you know, the the tight margins that businesses run on. But what kinds of things would you like to see that make it possible for both men and women, um, people with any gender identity, to try to create that work-life balance for themselves? Oh, that's a hard one because hospitality is known for the double shifts. I mean, for a moment there in Daniel and I's life, we were just ships in the night. I was working in restaurants and he was working mornings and we just didn't see each other. I mean, in my early days when I wanted to get ahead and really excel my career, I just put my head down and I worked my uh, absolute ass off. I didn't see the daylight. I think that we need people... I mean, I'm in the position now as the head chef to accept people when they want to go on holidays and give people a break and not think um, I'm going to take on that, those three extra, I don't know, those three extra functions or those three extra events because, you know, we need the revenue or should I just give my chefs a break? It's, it's a really hard one because I'm obviously not the owner of the company, but I am in the chef. I'm I'm in the kitchen. I'm I'm with them. I see what they go through. So, I think it's great for me to then give an insight to the owners of the company and tell them what we're going through, what we need, how we can make our life easier to have that work-life balance, to to still enjoy dinner with our families. And I know. Um, one of our chefs actually calls home regularly and her home is in India. And, you know, to have that time, if she needs to take her break in the morning to call her family, then, you know, that's part of work-life balance. She needs that for her mental health as much as I need to come home and have a conversation with with Daniel to de-stress. I think we need everyone to accept that everyone has a life outside of hospitality. Do you think that there's more openness from on the part of owners to listen to to the those kinds of um requests or or demands or needs i think now they don't have a choice with the staff shortage i mean people people want people people want chefs in the kitchen and if someone says hey i've got um I've got a study or I've got another job that starts at four. Can I knock off early? Then they've got no choice but to say yes. Otherwise, there's so many jobs going at the moment. They're just going to resign and go somewhere else. And that's it's, and it's, it's horrible to say, but the mentality was wrong from the beginning. That should have been accepted from the beginning. I guess it's, you know, you hope that there'll be enough employers out there who can, yeah, see this as an opportunity to restructure and see the benefits in having staff who have a more balanced life and, you know, that it, it will be taken on in a, in a spirit of, I guess, creativity and togetherness rather than bitterness and resentment. I really hope that, that that's the case. Yeah. Um, Karina, what would you say to young women who are listening to this or, you know, perhaps um, parents of daughters who are considering a career in hospitality? How would you suggest that they that they tackle it? Um, well, I mean, my mum told me not to become a chef, so <laughs> I would say if you're passionate about something, if your heart is in it, then there's no point 
trying to starve yourself from that. Give it a go. Give it a try. And if you come across, unfortunately, someone like I have who does take advantage of you, your age, your gender, whatever, if someone tries to take advantage of you, walk away. You have a right to walk away. You have a right to say something because because that is you are a human, you are a person, and they are not above you. You you have to put your passion first. Yeah, it's a it's a, that's yeah very well said, and I think it's it's about yeah that self respect, isn't it? But then being able to act on it, and I think it's so hard when when you're affronted by something or somebody you know whatever it is you know does the wrong thing. It's so hard to be in the moment and respond, but I feel it's also important to say that people don't have to feel like the moment has passed if something's if something happened yesterday and you still want to talk to your boss about it or talk to HR about it or leave whatever it is then you know the moment doesn't need to have passed does it no one exactly right it it can stay with you for for years there there was an incident when i was an apprentice i was groped and i didn't even tell my mum until maybe last year because i was scared or I just didn't want to make a deal out of it. I didn't want to lose my job at the time. I told a friend and they were like, if you go to HR, you know, that person's done. You're ruining that person's life. But what about me? What about what I went through? You know, what, what that person did was, was wrong. And, and that's, and it's, it's part of the reason why I'm so passionate is no one should, I don't want anyone to feel the way I felt. It's, it's horrible. And mentally it can take a real toll on you. Yeah, it really can't be underestimated. Um, Karina, I really want to ask you about what pastry I should eat when I come to Hampton's Bakery. Um, What are you going to feed me with this fantastic flower, this beautiful art spray that you're putting into it? I think, I mean, you have to judge a a bakery by their plain croissant. You have to go to the plain croissant. But what I love is we have a cinnamon knot on, which we have actually laminated cinnamon sugar into the pastry, into the butter. So every single bite that you bite into has that intense cinnamon buttery flavor. And it's so crisp. It's so good. You have to get the cinnamon knot. Yeah, I'm definitely getting that. And I agree. You need to have a control dish. And I think a croissant, a plain croissant is definitely, uh, yeah, you, or it's always compulsory when um, checking out a bakery. Um, Karina, thank you so much for sharing your passion and your stories and your philosophy with us today. I think it's such a valuable conversation. It has to keep going. Um, but yeah, like good on you for being the change and creating such a a beautiful culture in your own kitchen. Um, See you soon for a cinnamon knot. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This is a Deep in the Weeds production. Sorry, my dog's just going to have a little bark. My... Oh, 
<laughs> Hang on a sec. Oh, good. It's, it's my oh, yeah. As you know, it's Peppy's birthday. Or do you know that it's Peppy's Happy birthday? Happy birthday, Peppy. I did yeah. see on your Instagram. 